Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Special thanks to the Town of Vail for their support of the Vail Dance Festival and Conversations on Dance live podcast recordings. This episode was recorded live at the Manor Vale Lodge. In this episode, there is an audio glitch in the recording about halfway through the interview. In order to preserve the content for publishing, you will hear a switch in the audio to a backup recording of lower quality. We apologize for the inconvenience. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden, and you're listening to Conversations on Dance. We good? Okay. Thank you, everyone, for coming out this Sunday morning. Uh, my name is Michael Sean Breeden. I am one of the hosts of the Conversations on Dance podcast. As many of you already know, uh, my co-host, Rebecca King-Ferraro, is on maternity leave. So uh, while I've been doing a lot of these by myself, uh, I am so lucky today to be having to be joined by a guest host, Kate Panner, who is the social media manager here at Vail Dance Festival. So if you like anything you see on social media, you can thank Kate for that. Thank you, Michael, for the plug. (laughs) I appreciate it. I'm so excited to be here this morning. And we have two uh, beloved artists of the Vail Dance Festival, Lauren Lovett and Claudia Schreier, and you both have quite a history here. So I think that's a good place to just start to hear. I want to hear Claudia first. How, what was your first experience at the Vail Dance Festival? In what capacity were you here? My first experience at the Vail Dance Festival was actually as an intern, um, starting in 2007. I came back in 2008, Uh, so uh, I go way back. I was actually reminded by Harper Addison, who is actually still working here, which is wonderful, um, that we uh, we started 15 years ago. So she said that number, and my brain exploded. (laughs) (laughs) So um, time has definitely flown, Um, but I had the joy of watching a beautiful dance get made while um, I was kind of working behind the scenes to make the festival come to life. And so it has just given me such a deep appreciation from the beginning for how much work goes into making this happen from the get-go. I mean, even before all of the artists arrive, um, everyone is, is, is coming to put everything together from the gift bags to 
uh, snacks, which keep us alive during the day, um, and doing um, just everything on stage and, and to, to, to make this come to life. So I am so deeply appreciative of every single person here. Um, and so to be able to come back as an artist is just, it just means the world to me. I uh, created my first work for the festival in 2016. Um, I did three works uh, consecutively through 2018, and I'm back for my fourth work now. That's so cool. I, I want to hear a little bit about how Damien um, first caught wind of your choreographic talents. Um, as Kate knows, um, I became, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I started choreographing at a, at a very young age, but uh, I was very lucky to fall into a really rich, supportive, creative environment um, in college where Kate and I went uh, together. And I had the opportunity to create on my fellow students, including Kate. And uh, Damien and Heather Watts uh, would come to our rehearsal sessions and our tech sessions. And I remember for one in particular, um, Heather watched my uh, tech for a ballet Elysium I created and ran out and actually called Damien to tell her about it. And that's where a lot of this started. They've just been extraordinarily supportive of, of me in, in so many ways, but uh, particularly in this choreographic journey from, from way back, right. over 15 years ago. <laughs> when we were talking about this interview, Kate brought it up. She was like, I remember those early ballets and just being like, yeah, this is good and they should know about this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It was. They were very difficult. That yes. has not changed. No, it has not. <laughs> I also liked. I have a, one of my favorite memories is uh, a ballet I had made uh, during college. Uh, I got very, very particular about the arms, and it's become a, a joke among us because the arms were not here, here, not here, here. Uh, and I don't think I've changed that level of detail. So thank you for bearing with me, everybody, on that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's hear a little from Lauren. Um, you've come out here both as uh, a dancer. That was how you were first engaged with the festival, uh, and then later, Damien would uh, encourage you and push you as a choreographer. So what was your first year like here at Vail, and what made you sort of fall in love with this festival? I was lucky. I came with a moves tour with New York City Ballet, and I got to do Polyphonia and Hallelujah Junction. So I was just doing mostly corda ballet roles, but I had one solo. And Heather and Damien saw it, and um, the next year asked me back as an independent artist. And it was my first time ever being an independent artist. <laughs> and I remember um, how meaningful that was to me at that time. I was so young. Um, and I got to do Sulfide, which was a huge challenge, and Tarantella. And it was the most difficult thing still probably to my career <laughs> in the mountains. Both of those ballets are very difficult. I think I was sick every time I rehearsed and performed. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of um, sympathy for the young ones who do it now. Um, but mostly it's just every year I've come back, I've been pushed in some way. And um, now it's you know more classical works choreography. Damien really believed in me early with that and gave me opportunity to try new things, things that might be a little challenging elsewhere. I got to work with one of my favorite poets of all time, Andrea Gibson, here at this festival. That was my first work. And, you know, play with things like, oh, I'm going to do a comedy ballet. I don't know if it took off, but it was important for me to try. Right. And, um, and I think that's what I love about it, about this environment is that there's like this attention to the growth of the artist, no mirrors, and, and just this nurturing 
of the art form. Mm-hmm. And I fall in love with dance every time. I mean, I'll, I'll go off and I'll live my life. And then I come back to the festival and I realize like, oh, this is why I do it. Um, all the whys mm-hmm. happen here. I'm just thinking back. I mean, how many people have we seen do Tarantella? That's like very much the like the, it's like, the, the litmus test. Can you make it in there? Can you make it's like it? walking on coals? Can she do it? Yeah. Can he do it? Will they make it? We're all there on the back wall, being like yeah, yeah. baptism by fire. Um, so, what was the first? You, you mentioned the first work you did here at Vale. Um, how did Damien become aware of your choreographic talents before that to to commission that? And I, have, I have no idea. <laughs> and maybe he saw me do something at New York City Ballet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. But he, said, but he thought it was a good idea. <laughs> and, um, and he seemed game for anything. And I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of trust is right. important. So, Claudia, you mentioned that you knew from a young age that you wanted to make dances. Lauren, was it the same for you? Or was this something you figured out later on? I mean, I used to choreograph on my younger siblings all the time. I just didn't know what it was. I hadn't been in a dance class. I didn't know what that was. I would just put my little cassette tape in and have them come out of the closet, (laughs) make little shapes, and I'd give them skirts, and I'd put it on their head, and I would, I mean, I was making things. Mm -hmm. But as soon as I um, took ballet classes, I seemed to stop. Like, I just thought oh, there's a right way of doing this and a wrong way of doing this, and it's obedient and orderly. And I just never thought, I, I really never thought that that was something that I would ever do. Um, and I got into it a little later in school. I was about 16. What pushed you there? Because I think it does mm-hmm. feel like when you have people come in and set works on you as a student, mm-hmm. they feel so separate from you. Like, they've been credentialed, they're the expert, yeah. they're coming in. You have no idea often who these people are frequently, but you're like, oh, that's a special person. Mm-hmm. How did you start to shift in your thought process about yourself? I mean, I really didn't shift very much. I thought I was afraid of a lot of things. I was very insecure. Um, I had some social anxiety uh, as a teenager, and I just really wanted I wanted to be free of all of those I don't know, things that were holding me back. And so I was reading self-help books, and it just said sign up for something scary, and that just happened to be the scary thing to sign up for, so I got very lucky. Um, was that for like a choreographic workshop? Or? It was, yeah. It was for a choreographic workshop, and we were supposed to choreograph on our peers. Terrifying for somebody with social anxiety um, to do that. And I even still tried to back out even after I signed up, because I thought, well... <laughs> You know, I didn't get any of the dancers that I wanted, and I let everything go, and I was very introverted and sat on the side, and then, well, I got the five dancers left over that nobody really thought they wanted, and I'm, gr- I'm glad for that. I, that's what I love about choreography. It really is. I like the people, and, and I like very different kinds of dancers, and, you know, maybe finding something that the audience didn't know that person could do. Mm-hmm. Or maybe that dancer has always wanted to emote some kind of a, a, sometimes it's aggression, sometimes it's a softness or a femininity. And, um, and they don't get to do that always because they're thought of in one way. I love that. I love getting in there and saying, what have you always wanted to do, but you never had the chance to do it? 
So, uh, Claudia, I want to hear a little bit more. Um, I mean, we, we mentioned like you're like the works are still really hard. <laughs> so, but are there there are ways that you feel like your choreographic voice has changed through the, from that time, those early creations, to what you're making now? Yeah, I mean, I I think what feels right on my body a lot of the time is not what feels right on um, a dancer's body who is perhaps exclusively trained in Balanchine or. Mm-hmm. Um, or something to that effect. But what I love is being able to find that common ground and challenge both of us. Um, I tend to uh, really love a a more grounded, fluid uh, quality. And at the same time, I love uh, sculptural elements. I love quick, fast-paced movement, a lot of of footwork. And so when there's a way to, to find that middle ground and then elevate it from there that to me is that magical place Mm -hmm. and I think over the years what I have become more comfortable with is uh, not creating what I think the you know it it should be and more what I what I want it to be and what I mean by that is whatever comes out of my body naturally um, tends to kind of sit in the music in a natural place and then it, it's much easier for me to communicate that to dancers versus coming from a place of I want to make this shape and then this shape and then this shape and then this shape and then I'm just going to figure out how to connect them all. When there's a more organic uh, nature to the creative process, it is, it's so much more fulfilling and I think it's, it's a healthier environment for the dancers and it creates something that has, I think, more longevity. Right. You, you brought up an interesting point. I, you know, obviously you're both dancers and uh, I'm wondering how much your own body influences your work. Like, are you creating phrases before you go in? And, um, like, how much does your knowledge as a dancer, knowing what those steps that you're giving them feel like, how much does that impact your work? It's it's certainly a combination. Um, I do spend a lot of time preparing um, so that I feel like I can communicate my initial vision at the very least before I get in the studio. But you have to leave room for interpretation and for the dancers to make it their own. And a lot of the time, um, you have the blessing of being able to take credit for something that they do. (laughs) It looks way better than what you thought of. Um, And it's really, uh, you have to be able to uh, be malleable in the moment and to be able to adapt on the spot so that if there's, you know, four counts that feel really, really good, but that fifth count going into that sixth count is just not it. Uh, you find a new way around it, and that's the, that's the collaborative element. I think when I was younger, um, improv to me seemed like a dirty word, and I was like, "Well, it's no, I, I'm the choreographer. It has to be what I say, and mm. if it's not what I said at the outset, then it's not really my work, and I need to take ownership of it." And that's truly, uh, it's so limiting, and it it's that's that's not art. That's not making art. That's mm-hmm. just you know, putting something down on paper and then walking out of the room. Right. So I um, to be able to sit sit with the the dance sit with the movement sit with the music and have that conversation with words with movement with music um and and all of that uh i think just opens up uh the atmosphere and the potential for what you end up with yeah how about for you lauren Hmm. well i definitely have the empathy (laughs) of a dancer i can't ask some things of dancers because i know how painful or dangerous or difficult it is to do. Um, but I, I prepare very little on my own self because I don't really want it to be about me. So I get in there and I like, um, it's probably half impulse of the moment, what I hear, what I feel, what that dancer did that inspired me to do something. Then there's space of 
creative thoughts that come in from an outside source that I don't even understand. And I listen to those thoughts. Um, and then it's like what Claudia was saying. There's this beautiful thing that happens in the space when you think you have an idea or, or um, an image or maybe you saw something somewhere and you're trying to relay that to the dancer. But then in somewhere in the space between you relaying the information and them absorbing it, it changes. Mm-hmm. And then you have something completely new that maybe neither of you knew was going to happen. And, um, and so I just love that too. Uh, as a dancer still, it matters very much to me that the dancer knows that they get some of the credit for it. I always hated that when I was in the room with a choreographer and then I would, I'd make up this step and that step and this lift and that lift and then never get any of the credit. They'd never say thank you. Um, say thank you. You say thank you. <laughs> um, I'd love to work. We're going to work together someday. Um, but they, hello? Yeah, we have to. Um, but yeah, there's, it's just so beautiful to be creating art in the moment. And that's, Claudia is right. That's where the magic is. You're not just putting something down on paper in your room alone, and that's it. You know, there, it has to be more than that because that's what the dancers need too. That's what feeds us and propels us forward. You get to take ownership of something that's yours. You're not trying to be the, well, I mean, I just danced Giselle last night. I love that ballet, and it's very fulfilling to dance, but I'm just in this very long lineage of many, many Giselles that did it. And that's important and that's beautiful, but you also have to have those things that were made on you. And nobody else has done it before. It's just yours. Like, that's so important. Yeah, you're talking a lot about this sort of like push-pull of like you being in the room and, and having the inspiration. But I'm sure you, you do come in with some ideas, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering if there was ever a moment where you had something that you wanted really badly and it just couldn't come to fruition. Like I think of that balancing quote, ballet is like coffee. The aroma is always better than the taste. <laughs> like, have you ever had a moment where you're just like, this is not working out? All the time. Yeah. <laughs> All the time. I mean, you have an idea of something that you had in a dream. And, uh, and then you get into the studio and you're like, this is going to work. And sometimes you waste a lot of time. Mm-hmm. And you watch the clock and you go, man, I, I've spent 30 minutes on this one thing, this one lift that I really had in mind and it's not working. And so it's a balance. Right. For yeah. Sure. Uh, let's catch up a little bit. You know, I haven't, Claudia, I don't think you've been on the podcast for like four years. A few things have happened since then, in both in the world and in a happier way for your career. <laughs> um, you've, you've had a lot of major commissions. Things are really taking off. Let's just go through and talk about what some of those experiences have been for you. What was the first work you did um, when theaters reopened, let's say? Uh, let's see. When theaters reopened, uh, technically, um, we had an uh, outdoor performance of a ballet I did for Atlanta Ballet, where I'm a resident choreographer named Pleiades Dances. And in a way, that was a fusion because I created it almost exclusively over Zoom. Um, and that was such a welcome challenge for me. I had done one large-scale work for them prior to the, the shutdown. Um, and for this one, uh, it was for 12 dancers, but only two, two of them were married, so they could partner, and the rest could not touch. And so for the entirety of the creative process... Um, kudos to the director, Gennady Nedvigin, and really every director at every company across the world for being able to navigate the pandemic the way they did, because between the, 
the, the different types of pods and and the separations. I mean, it was just the the coordination alone before even a single step was made um, was art in itself, in and of itself. Um, but what that allowed me was an immense amount of time to focus on uh, detail work with individual movement. And that happened over the course of many weeks leading up to about the Christmas break and then January through um, the premiere in, in uh, February and then a live performance in March. And it completely transformed the way that I think about movement and craft movement for uh, the individual body. Um, I sometimes tend to gravitate toward partnering um, because I love watching and figuring out how bodies intertwine. And so having to translate that to the body, I think, really um, fast-tracked me in terms of how I am, am thinking about ensemble dance, but but separately on stage and how and how that moves together. So that one um, made it on Zoom, was able to finish it in the studio, and that premiered um, live in March. And uh, that's really one of my favorite works to, to that I've created to date for, for a number of reasons. Um, I then went to Boston Ballet and I made my ballet slipstream um, for uh, a March program um, th of this year. And um, I created a large-scale work for Miami City Ballet um, with my husband, Adam Barish, who is a storyteller fil a filmmaker, um, which was a, a fascinating, really challenging, wonderful process for, for both of us and really everyone involved. Um, and after this, I go back to Atlanta to work with the uh, Cathedral National Cathedral Choir, and then I go to San Francisco Ballet. So I'm just kind of living out of a suitcase, but racking them it. up, racking yeah. them up. I have a question. Um, so at Atlanta Ballet, where you're resident choreographer, resident choreographers tend to be resident with that company. So she's doing a lot of work with the same dancers. Mm -hmm. Um, you gain a familiarity with those dancers. How have you managed these commissions where you're walking into a company and maybe you've seen people perform before, a few of them, but often not necessarily like as an entire company, mm -hmm. maybe not seeing so many programs. How do you quickly get a sense of what possibilities there are for you in the creative process? That's a great question. Yeah, I mean, having a residency, as Lauren knows, is such a blessing because you... Uh, you're not starting at zero every time. When you walk back in, you have a familiarity not only with uh, technique and movement quality, with personality and who works well together and learning styles and, and, and all of that. And so uh, it's very different when you walk into a company fresh and sometimes you're casting and starting on day one. Um, you're watching ballet class in the morning and then by 11.30 you're in the studio and you, they just go, make it <laughs> like okay um and so you know your brain ha you have to compartmentalize uh casting and creation independent of what you're seeing and then also taking into account all the different styles and um the the essences of, of what's being made um and sometimes it takes a little bit longer i think for boston in particular um, I had a very large cast. I had 18 dancers with, I think, two and a half casts plus uh, backup on top of it. So there's a ton of people in the room. And I luckily had a lot of support in terms of being able to sort out who was doing what when. Um, but for me, how I was able to navigate that was starting, again, from a place of individual movement. And so treating it not necessarily like an audition, um, but as a, a, tr a training ground or as a... Um, 
a, pre, a pre-rehearsal. So we're not structuring anything, but I'm giving them these movement phrases that I know will be integrated into the ballet, whether as individual steps or as a group. And then we run that multiple times, and we do that across the floor. And it really gives me a sense of what works best for certain dancers. And that way, I'm kind of able to get ahead of the game in terms of structuring and, and making up that time. Um, Lauren, you are your resident choreographer in a pretty big deal <laughs> of a place. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how that came about working at Paul Taylor Dance Company? I love them so much. <laughs> um, I, I first started working with Paul Taylor Company in 2020 in January. I only had two days, two Mondays off in my season. And I got in the space. I didn't, I'd never worked with modern dancers before. That's a different style completely different style. They don't even wear shoes. It's like bare feet. <laughs> and so, but I've, I've loved, loved being an audience member of the Paul Taylor Company there in our theater, in our off time, in Lincoln Center. And I would, I'd go with friends and just see these masterpieces. And I just, I loved how diverse all the choreography was. So all that's to say, when I got in the studio, I was the most nervous <laughs> I've probably ever been because of that respect um, and the, the difference in language. So I, I had two days with them where, kind of like what Claudia was saying, I just played with some movements. It wasn't going to be the piece. It was just trying things. And I fell in love, <laughs> immediately fell in love with them. I loved um, the age differences. They had some dancers in the company that had been there for years. I mean... 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. And then they had half the company that was brand new. I mean, really young, fresh, new to that style as well. And binding the room together was so inspiring to me. Um, and so, yeah, I basically I started working with them and then everything shut down. I had two days. I had a whole idea that I wanted to to execute. I was I'm still very excited about it. Someday this will happen. This ballet that I want to make. Um, but I I wasn't able to do that. I had to wait all during the pandemic, all during lockdown. And I got lucky. My first chance back into the studio was in November of 2020, and it was with them in a bubble residency. And um I had to change everything about my idea, new music, (laughs) uh, different cast size, socially distanced orchestra. I mean, it was just one thing after another. Might even call it a different idea. (laughs) Completely. Um, And that was great. I I loved it. We needed it together. It um, It was so seamless working with the dancers. It wasn't a struggle at all. Um, And we got close. And so I started working on this piece that later Michael Novak asked me to just put the whole company into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was a challenge. Um, but overall, just my experience with them has been organic. And um, after I decided to step away from New York City Ballet, I went into Michael Novak's office and I said, you know, I, I don't, I'm not the most assertive. I know that about myself. I'm not the person that jumps into the office and says, I want to dance this thing, or I want to choreograph for your company. I just, I wait to be asked most of the time. And um, this time I was like, you know, I'm going to go into the office and I'm going to say, I still have my original idea and it has to be this company. 
and I'd love to do it. And hopefully you can think of me in the future. And I was met with silence (laughs) and I thought, Oh no, I really messed up. I shouldn't have done that. What did I do? Um, so I left the office thinking, well, at least I tried, you know, I put myself out there and, um, and wasn't met with the response I thought I was going to get. And then a few weeks later, um, something even better happened. And Michael offered me the, the position of uh, choreographer in residence. And I was very surprised by that. It wasn't something I thought I was stepping into. I left New York City Ballet with no idea where I was going to go, um, but ready for whatever came. And it's been awesome. I love it. We have a premiere happening November 2nd. Everybody should come. Lincoln Center. <laughs> yeah. I'll be there, there. for sure. Um, now you both, both have brought up separate instances of um, sort of parameters being set for you, like Zoom. I mean, it's not like someone said, we want you to make. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's the only way. Um, and then Lauren, the, um, you know, can you put everyone into this ballet? So I'm curious, how much do you enjoy having those parameters? Like, I, you know, I always ask choreographers this because some people are like, oh, just tell me exactly what to do and I'll fill in the blanks. And some people want all that, the, the possibility and options. So where do you fall on, on the spectrum there? That's such a good question too. Um, <laughs> It's kind of like eating your vegetables in a way, I think. Uh, You'd like to think that you'd like to have complete free reign, but I found that some of my most um, enjoyable experiences and some of the experiences that I've grown the most from have been when I've had some kind of structure in place Mm -hmm. um, that I I had to speak to and, and, and reach beyond. Um, and like, like get like zoom, um, whether it's being handed music that perhaps you wouldn't have thought to use originally, that happens quite a lot. Um, and it just, your brain has to completely reorient in Mm -hmm. terms of how you are connecting to it because you have to feel it. I mean, it's, you can't fake feeling connected to your, your dancers and feeling connected to the music and the costumes and the lighting, everything has to come together. It's really this holistic experience that has to, to jive start to finish. And so you have to find a way through and, um, sometimes you get to the other side and you realize, okay, that was actually one of my, the, my favorite things I've ever done and mm-hmm. I wasn't expecting that. Um, so it's, you know, I, I really value uh, the challenge. I value being put in those positions. And on the flip side, sometimes it's great. In a way, it's a challenge to have too much freedom because your brain just goes, oh my God, like I can do anything. And then you really have to to hone in and home in and say, uh, this, you know, I can't, I can't do the kitchen sink this time. I have to really, really figure out 
um, what my vision is and what I'm trying to say specifically. And it's okay, I can do the next ballet. Um, which for me, I think, you know, Michael, when, when um, you danced my ballet Charge in um, 2017, um, prior to that, I had done a, a, f a work of, um, as a full evening uh, a performance, I didn't know I was going to choreograph anything past that. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that I would have a career. Um, as you know, Kate knows, I, I choreographed because I wanted to, I felt compelled to. Um, I wasn't studying dance in college. I wasn't intending to go um, off and have a choreographic career. I just really, really loved making dance and would find time to do it outside of my full-time job, late at night. Um, I was saying yesterday to some interns, I probably broke a million AGMA rules because I never <laughs> took a five and I was hiding that I should, should do that. And I was keeping them until 11, 11, you know, 30 at night in the studio. Um, I had a lot of friends who were very uh, willing to make a lot of really special things um, at a young age. Um, but I didn't know that uh, I would have a career. And so I think I felt compelled to just throw everything in mm -hmm. for every work. And now knowing that I'm making this thing, but I have, you know, three, four or five other things coming up, it allows me to be a little bit more focused um, and, and take more risks. Because if this one isn't exactly what it needs to be, I have the next one to look forward to and I can, right. I can challenge myself again. Sure. Lauren, I'm curious. Same, same question. What, what kind of parameters do you enjoy and what, what becomes um, stifling? I love parameters. <laughs> I'm, I'm super thrifty, just in every aspect of my life. I grew up that way. My dad loved to cook. And um, you talk about the kitchen sink and stuff. We would, my dad was also an extreme couponer. So we would have these random foods in the house. And, you know, what are you going to do with four bottles of mustard? And my dad would just find the most creative ways of putting this, you know, food together and it always tasted so good. And so I, I grew up that way. Uh, all my clothes were always from the thrift store, or hand-me-downs, or I would cut things. And when I would paint, I would use like nail polish that I had in the, in my apartment that was too old, that didn't work on the nails anymore, but it worked on the canvas. And like, I love, I love that piece of creativity the spontaneous, the how do, how do I use the pieces that I have before me and mix them up in a way that's interesting. So I love it. The worst thing that you can give me is like, you can do whatever you want and you, you can, you have unlimited time and resources and I'm, I'm just, that I don't know what to do with. So I go into a space and I'm like, well, what, where are your dancers that, you know, just came back from injury or, um, you know, aren't being cast in other things, um, where, you know, give me that, that problem or what, what program are you trying to put together and you need certain kind of music? Like, okay, you're using a French composer. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then I'll do digging and I'll find it. And, or how much time do I have? Um, so that's, that's what inspires me. I like problem solving. I, th I think you might be the first person choreographer that I've had mention consideration of um, what's on the program. I mean, that's usually the director's job is to figure out, but I, I like that you're exploring that before you even start. I love that. Um, and I know how, well, I don't know because I've never been a director, but I've been close to them and I know how difficult that is. So um, I guess I'm a team player. <laughs> <laughs> I like to, to find out what's needed. And then, and to me, that's like, that makes me feel alive. Um, so, yeah. 
<laughs> and that's the end of my answer. <laughs> I do have a question for both of you. Describe career paths that are really not carved out in the art industry. One is, you know, how do you go into choreography? I mean, you do not hear about very many choreographers and a diversity of pathways into that. It's largely someone is in a contract professional company and they start choreographing there and they get opportunity there and then it ex- and then it grows from there. You don't hear very much beyond that unless we're talking about like George Balanchine and Jerome Robbins and like it's possible that would not be like the best professional instructional guide to become a choreographer, <laughs> right? So and for Lauren, you know, your career trajectory is also very, very unusual. You have really boldly struck out on your own, and it's been inspiring for so many people. And I'm wondering what it's felt like for you over the last couple of years to start thinking about that and how you've managed it. What did you do? How did you look for opportunity? Um, how did you keep putting one step in front of the other? Or did you even know that's what you were doing? Oof, what a question. Um, there, what I love about right now and our day and age is we have so much more agency than we ever had before. You have social media, which can be, you know, sometimes I think about social media and I go, oh, this is the problem of the world. And other times I think about it and I go, this has made my career. Um, so I think having, having the tools to be able to put yourself forward in a way that you want to be seen, to say things that you want to say. If you want to work with dancers, you can find them and you can work with them and you can put it online and and people can see that. So I think in some ways it can be oversaturated and you know, you're still sifting through mass numbers of other people that want exactly what you want, but life has always been like that. And so when I talk to young people, I guess I'm still young, but when I talk to younger people, <laughs> um, I always say, you know, we'll find out what is unique about you. And for me, it's, I, I knew that I liked choreography. Not a lot of other women were doing that around me at the time, but I really liked it. So I kind of did that and I wanted to be a ballerina. And then I liked some modeling on the side. I, would, I don't know, I would just find wherever my heart was calling me, do it to the fullest and that that's how you make your path. If you're following somebody else's uh, map, well, it's already been done. So I think um, we have a lot more tools at our disposal now, and that's a beautiful thing. And then I always encourage young people to to diversify, and um, you know, maybe you're gonna be that choreographer that also is a horseback rider or something, or you know, culinary, expertise mixed with dance or I don't know they're, they're endless combinations of what makes a person and so I think that's how you kind of find your way forward yeah so for Claudia um you for your career path it's it's uh, interesting that you say like in the beginning you weren't really thinking of it in that term like you weren't thinking this could is a professional possibility for me you were just curious artistically yeah. so at what point did you kind of have an inkling that it could be a path for you I think the first time that I realized that this is something that I needed to do all the time um, was when I had the opportunity to create that full evening program for 2015. So it was, there was a competition that I won in 2014 and they essentially said, okay, you have a stage a year from now to date, go. <laughs> and uh, it was the most 
amazing, terrifying moment of my life because I realized, okay, like this, that was my kitchen sink moment. That I was like, okay, this might be the only time I get to do this. I'm really going to make it count. And so I was just thrown in head first, not only in terms of hiring dancers, uh, but fundraising and finding studio space and all of the things that go into uh, self-producing a program. And so I became uh, essentially a, a director uh, very quickly on top of choreographing a number of works. And I was still working full time um, at Alvinelli at the time, marketing. And so I would do my day job. I'd wake up in the morning, do the producing stuff I need to do, uh, work full time, and then find studio space um, and rehearse into the you know late at night. And I did that for a year. Um, ran myself into the ground. But it was totally worth it. Um, but that was really, I think, the first moment where I realized this is what I'm meant to do. This is really, this is so exhausting in the most beautiful way possible, and I need to find a way to make this work. And on top of that, it was really incredible to me to see a community form around me. The amount of support that I had in terms of mentors and dancers doing double duty, um, you know, creating for me and then reaching out and bringing other dancers in, and, and it just, there were so many elements to it. Um, that sense of community, I don't think I'd really felt before. And so, you know, and they were, yeah, I could just wax poetic about it. It really, it really was an extraordinary experience. And I had composers um, reach out. Jeff Beal, who is um, known more for television and movies, uh, wanted to create his first work for dance. And so he uh, composed his first uh, balladic uh, composition for me. And um, it was just, it was just extraordinary. And so from there, um, you know, additional commissions began to, to take hold, and I then learned of a fellowship um, that Lauren is very familiar with, <laughs> the uh, uh, Tulman Fellowship for Choreographers at the Center for Ballet and the Arts at NYU. And that was my, that was a, a massive shift moment for me. I remember exactly where I was. Um, Andrea, she left a voicemail for me telling me that I, I received it and I was on my way to choreograph Charge for the original version at uh, Ballet Academy East in 2016. And I was on the Upper East Side, I got out of the subway and I saw that I had a voicemail, I listened to it and I was like, the sky exploded, my whole world changed because I knew in that moment I couldn't take the fellowship and continue working full time. You actually weren't allowed to, uh, at least at that time. And so that was my giant leap moment. I was like, okay, I have to take this. I can't not. Uh, I guess I'm a career for now. <laughs> and that was it. And so from then on, it's just been um, pursuing this path. Uh, let's hear a little bit about what each of you are doing at the festival this year. Lauren, you're focusing primarily on your own performing, and we've gotten to see you do a couple things that would not have been in your typical New York City Valley rep. So tell us about that. I've been loving it. I'm doing the classics. <laughs> I'm doing uh, what I've done. Uh, Lake Corsair was the first time I ever danced anything like that. Uh, only my second time doing fuetes on stage. Huge <laughs> challenge for me. I've been terrified of those my entire life. Um, so that was a big deal. And then Giselle, I love that ballet. Uh, with Calvin Royal, I got to dance that. And then I did a, a more vintage pas de deux that was made on Heather Watts and Peter Martins. Back in, I don't even know when that was. 1981. Thank you, I was like, back in the 80s. I Googled it this morning. Prepared. So that was really special, too, because it's this old thing that would have died that we got to put new life into and 
and get re reimagined. Um, so that's been great. And I'm working with Jody Melnick in this festival, and that's been really cool because I've I've admired her for years. The way that she can move um, in the simplest of ways. She can do something that seems so ordinary, like just walk forward, but she'll shift her ribs in such a way that's so specific and so um, so clear. It's so lucid. Like everything that she does is very. Um, it's it's defined by her. <laughs> it's just so it's so Jody, yeah. and um, and so because I've admired her for years, it's been fun to work with her and try to unpack that. It's very different than anything that I've done. I like to come up with the most seamless way to get from point A, point A to point B, and I like to connect all of the dots because that's what ballet is. It's like making everything super lyrical and fluid, and she breaks it all apart. And it turns, it's like one of those um, pictures of the dots, like a bunch of dots that come together to create a bird or something. I don't know what that's called, but that type of art. Yes, that's how it is in dance. It's like you have to separate all of those movements suddenly and I'm thinking about every finger and I can't, I can't move my knee until I've moved my hip. And, um, and I think that that's a huge challenge. It's also been really fun. Right. So Claudia, what have you been working on here at the festival? Uh, I'm working on a new ballet uh, with six dancers um, to music by a composer named Gonzalo Grau. Uh, it's music that was uh, created for Brooklyn Rider and it was created in 2018, uh, but didn't premiere until last year because of the pandemic. And it's short, six minutes long, and it is um, the composer is Venezuelan, and it is um, about his, his his feelings of home and his the wistfulness of home. Uh, but there are these playful percussive elements in it that have been so much fun to dig into and and, um, and play around with. So um, Kate, I'm sure the dancers have said it's hard like everything else. <laughs> uh, we're throwing a lot in there. No um, <laughs> uh, But it's been this has actually been I feel like I'm getting the true real experience this round because in the past. Um, I've created the work almost exclusively in New York prior to arriving here, and then we put in the finishing details. And this time around, because of my schedule and the dancers' schedules, because they've been doing the Met season and uh, flying around the world and everything else, uh, the vast majority of it has happened here just in the last few days. Um, and I've always come to Vail and, and seen that happen, like seen the magic of a ballet just or a work just kind of come to fruition in a matter of hours over the course of three, four, five days. Um, so to be on this end of it has been really exciting and fascinating and challenging <laughs> for me. So anyone who wants to see Claudia's new ballet, it's tomorrow night, right? And to see Lauren and Jody's ballet, Jody Melnick's ballet, I hope that everyone will come out. I think now uh, we can turn it over to the audience. I'm going to buy so fast. <laughs> anyone have any questions? Bruce. In, in the New York Times article, you're quoted about Paul Taylor saying, no mirrors. And you said that again today. And I wonder how much that's metaphor and how much you have a real antipathy for the mirror and for the mirror's <laughs> damaging. Can you expand on that a little? I just feel like from the choreographic perspective, being the choreographer and being the dancer, when you don't have the mirror, something changes in the space. Um, you're not, you're focused on how it feels 
as the dancer from that side of things. And there's a lot more trust in whoever's before you telling you, oh, you got it, that's it, or try this or try that. So you take the information in in a different way. And then, you know, from the choreographic perspective, I like it because the dancers are more in tune. They lean in differently. They're not worried about what they look like or, you know, there's a, they trust you. And um, and I just think that that, cre- that, that as far as from the artistic point of view, I just think it creates a different energy that that leaves the judgment out of it, and it, it provides a little bit more trust in the space. So there's more room to explore. The dancer might try something that if they saw it in the mirror, they'd think it was ugly, and they might not try it. they go, oh no, that looks bad on my body, instead of just, well, maybe it looks good on my body, I don't know. Maybe it's okay to look a little different than I normally do. Um, I like it. Sure. Michael didn't ask his usual question about your dance origins, and I was intrigued by your story of choreographing your siblings. And I have a granddaughter who I think is sort of a dancing free spirit, but has trouble when she moves into a structured dance class at age five because ADD. So I wondered, did you have that that kind of issue? I don't know if Claudia is experienced either in terms of that, but I think it's. You know, just even to comment on children who really love to move and have trouble when the teacher says, I'm sorry, your child isn't ready for this because she's not paying attention. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I, I was a super obedient kid. Uh, so I grew up in more of a strict home. So I, I thrived with teachers telling me what to do. I was te- total teacher's pet. <laughs> so that was fine. But I didn't start until I was 11. Ooh dancing. Um, I saw, I, somebody saw my feet and my body and uh, I was in the right place at the right time and I got all my lessons paid for. And so I wouldn't be a dancer if it wasn't for that. So I'm, my entry point into ballet was very strict and rigid and that's why later finding choreography, I mean it's, and the Balanchine style too opened me up tremendously. I mean, there was this liberation of, you know, I was learning all of these positions and it felt like poses. But then I went into a class with a live pianist there and the music was the forefront and the, everything felt like jazz. And so there's, I, I'm, I'm grateful for my path, but it's been a little bit unusual. And I think for the five-year-old kids that just want to move, just let them move. I would just dance in my living room to whatever music I was inspired by. <laughs> um, that should be nurtured. Was, was five-year-old Claudia a rule breaker? Or did you like to follow the rules? <laughs> uh, yes, I was, <clears throat> so, I mean, I was definitely a type A uh, perfectionist, follow the rule person to a point. Um, but it's funny, like when I look, there's so much you learn about yourself looking back that you just didn't realize at the time. Um, I remember I would, I would get in trouble because I was probably hanging off the bar <laughs> when I was, you know, six, seven years old. Um, when you're taking ballet class, um, sometimes you take out these portable bars and you start your plies on one side and sometimes you'll just turn away and then you'll put your right hand on and do the left side, but sometimes because of the mirrors, they want you to swap sides with your partner. And the correct way to do that is to walk around the bar and place your hand down. And I would take it and then swing under, <laughs> put my hand down. 
and uh, my teacher did not like that. So there's just little moments like that where I just wanted to do things my own way, and um, I can I can feel it coming out more now. <laughs> I think we have time for a couple more. If anyone has a question, right here. So moving forward to college, which one was it you were at and meeting each other? It was at Harvard. Okay. Which is where we met Damian Wetzel. Yes, yeah. Damian was getting his master's at the Kennedy School at the time. In a little known school, Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> With regards to choreography and on yourself in those mental moments where you feel like there's a brain freeze or writer's block, so to speak, what's the key mantra you tell yourself to kind of keep that momentum going? Great question. Oh, I don't know. Do you want to answer that? <laughs> sure. Um, I think it depends on the circumstances. Um, sometimes what I find is that so often the freeze comes from within. If I'm really struggling with something, it is so rarely the actual work that is the problem or the circumstances. It is that I am not allowing for some kind of flow state. Um, you know, some, if, you, if you feel like you're just letting yourself go and not worrying about what it's going to look like when it's perfect and polished and on stage, you can generate, you know, four or five minutes of content in an hour, maybe not quite, but something close <laughs> to that. Um, whereas, as Lauren was saying, sometimes you get stuck. You can get stuck on like a, a five-second phrase for four hours, and you're going to drive yourself into the ground because of it. And it's not because that is hard necessarily. It might actually be something very simple. Um, but it's almost like your brain goes on some kind of feedback loop where you're like punishing yourself for not figuring out before you even gotten to, to you know the end of the, the six out of seven seconds. So sometimes it's just taking a step back. Sometimes I have to just stop, get a cup of coffee, get the sun on my face, drink some water. Um, sometimes putting other music on helps because if you have the music in your head too much, um, it almost limits you in terms of what your body is reacting to. So sometimes just trying to move to something else can help. Um, trying something entirely different. Um, my favorite thing that happened, so for Pleiades dances, um, the one I made for Atlanta Ballet in, in uh, 21, um, I was getting to the end of the work and I was, just, I was just hitting a wall and I felt pretty good to that point. I could not figure it out. And I was actually living in Chattanooga at the time with my husband, um, but I ended up commuting to, to Atlanta to finish it. And I looked outside and we had the opportunity to live in an Airbnb on the river and I saw a deck chair and I was like, okay, I'm just going to move like a deck chair. And I made this shape, and it ended up being this very um, quirky, curved thing that I never would have done otherwise. And it ended up being one of my favorite things I put in the ballet. And we called it deck chair. And um, it is this very particular moment. But that moment actually, for me, unlocked other things. Because, I mean, if you look around the room right now, there's a coffee pot. So you make a coffee pot, and then there's a uh, cup. And so now you make a cup. And your body can move in infinite combinations and permutations, and all you have to do is just think beyond, okay, I'm making a ballet, so it has to be a ballet step, or okay, I'm making a tailor work, so it has to use tailor um, movement. We're so lucky. We just get to make stuff up all the time. We are. <laughs> we have the best job. We really have the best job. Um, and I think, you know, I we are perfectionists in a way, and so I think a lot of that pressure and perfection, it comes from within. Um, but we are blessed with the opportunity to make anything that we want um, and, and hopefully you know, make it excellent. And so sometimes it's just making your brain do something, to, forcing it to think differently and then seeing how it uh, affects you on, on the back end. 
Do you have anything to add, Lauren? Any yeah, tips to just a tiny that? thing. It's exactly what Claudio is saying. It usually it's you. Um, the only time I ever experienced a severe block when I was choreographing was when I was trying to be somebody else. I wanted to be like Alexei Romanski. <laughs> in the front of the room and I was blocked for like 10 minutes and I, I actually had to stop the rehearsal and make a confession to the dancers and say I'm so sorry I've, I was trying to be somebody else and I was trying to be mysterious and um, and, and have my notebook and more more reserved and so the dancers would wonder and they'd lean in and they would but I, that's not me and um, and so as soon I learned I'm lucky I learned that sooner rather than later it was my second commission and I've thrown it out ever since because if you just yourself your ideas can come and I love what Claudia said about the coffee pot and what that's exactly how I come up with ideas too very similar and it can come from anywhere I think that's all we have time for today but thank you both so much for